Okay, here we are. Episode two of Joy Story whoop, whoop. with Tim Leeson and Dan Mills the Bell. That's me. <laughs> That's him. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Um, so we're still kind of, I guess, figuring the format out um, for this show kind of as we go along. So we don't have a default greeting um, that we have, but maybe we should say like, Welcome to Joy Story, but at the same time, like that, together. So We can try. Okay, let's try, ready? One, two, three. Welcome Welcome to Joy Story. Joy Story! (laughs) It's the rhythm, we need to work out the rhythm. Didn't quite get it. (laughs) We'll get it next time. That will get better with every episode, that introduction. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that represents our roles in this podcast. Mine is, I'm very much the Deadwood, um, very, like, matter of fact. I'm just here for the facts. Right. Um, whereas you're the charisma, the life, the energy, I think, of the, the podcast. Charisma, I'm just here to fact check you. Charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Is that is that a, you said that like you've said that before. That's from, um... <laughs> So that's from Drag Race. Um, oh, is it? Charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. And if you think about the letters of each of those, that starts. Oh, uh, that that acronym, the words that that acronym represents, comes up more in conversations with you than with anybody else who I know in my life. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to do with that. Um, I feel like I should apologise for that. No, no, no. I don't think you should apologise for it. I think you should own it. I. I don't know how I feel about owning that either, um, <laughs> but I'll take it. <laughs> um, so um, we've got, in our, in our last episode, we put a little thing out at the end to say, if there are subjects or areas that you'd like us to talk about, then to please email us. Um, and we have had a couple of um, kind of requests. Uh, we've had more than two, actually, which is really nice, but we've yeah. kind of picked two that kind of have a a bit of synergy that I think will kind of work well together and give us some stuff to talk about. So should um, we, should we also give that email address? Oh yeah. Good point. Yeah. Um, I think you should do that. Is that because you can't remember it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the email address is joystorypodcast at gmail.com. Awesome. Joystorypodcast at gmail.com. I can, I can remember that next time. It's I'll be not better. massively difficult to remember. It's not really, but if I if you hadn't been here, I would have called. I would have said joystory at gmail dot com, and at that point, some poor person, probably a fan of Toy Story or a person called Joy, will be getting emails from strangers saying, "Hey, um, could you talk about homophobia on the podcast?" <laughs> and then not know. I not know what to make of it. I've just fallen in love with the idea that there's someone called Joystory in the world. Wouldn't that be cool? What an awesome name! Because Joy Story was taken, that's why I went with Joy Story podcast for the email address. Because yeah, so if for the the odds are, the odds against this are astronomical, but like if you are called Joy Story and you are listening to this, please get in touch with us. Yeah, you could be our mascot. Oh my, that'd 
That would be we'll put your picture as a podcast art. I mean, I quite like our art, but yeah. Um... <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, I, th- I shouldn't make that promise. I, I retract that promise. <laughs> yeah, so that's the email. Please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from anybody with any ideas um, about anything they'd like us to talk about or any feedback as well. Yeah, definitely. And I so... guess the just to kind of remind people, um, ostensibly this is a podcast about joy, um but it's also more broadly about well-being the things that give our lives meaning um where we find hope and happiness and fulfillment um and coming at it from the perspective of psychotherapy which is dan's field and kind of chaplaincy and theology which is my field so um it'll be really interesting to get some 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 questions or conversation areas where there might be some some potential conflict between those fields of psychotherapy and theology um not that i how, want to have an argument with them how could there be conflict <laughs> between those two um, yeah sure the church has never done anything that would potentially damage a person's mental health <laughs> um, i would say the same for psychotherapy yeah that's true actually yeah um yeah. in in its long um wobbly topsy-turvy journey yeah i was listening to a podcast with somebody the other day who had received shock therapy for his depression a long time ago um and he's quite an old guy so with like quite like talking about old school shock therapy and it's really disturbing it's horrible Uh, and he was saying he's just got gaps in his memory now where the shock therapy has just wiped out part of his brain it's so disturbing but you know i also think some of the ways we treat people now, we all look back on as thinking it's disgusting and um, mm. abhorrent and awful. Um, I don't know what all of those will be, but I think we will look back and think, how did we treat people like that? Um, yeah. How did we like, do that to people and say those things to people? Um, and it's, yeah, it's, I guess, all in like a time context, but even like not to go into the history of psychotherapy, but where like this comes from, if you, it was des- like psychotherapy and psychoanalysis and all that. It was designed by men for hysterical women. Yeah. Like, that would be like how it would have been framed. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, a lot's changed in them, but fundamentally since then, but like fundamentally it's still the same principles and everything behind it. And you think like, I mean, this gets into a way bigger conversation about like, why can't we engage more men and, and boys in, in mental health? But I think yeah. there needs to be like quite a big shift. And so like, well, we need to create something that fits for different people and not just have this one model of something. Yeah. 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 I don't, I, I'll stop there before I go too far, like down that digression path. But, um, well, it's a really interesting rabbit hole. Um, I, I'll just go slightly deeper into it in that. So I had a conversation with a friend at the weekend who's, uh, whose aunt who I've met actually, and is a, she's a lovely person. Her aunt, um, has breast cancer and it was quite advanced breast cancer. And so they're treating it with chemotherapy and the chemotherapy is really working, which is great. And it's really shrunk the, the tumor to the point where it'll be operable. And that's awesome news. Um, but her aunt is quite ill because of the chemotherapy. Yeah. And I was saying like, at some point in the future, at least I hope this is true because it'll be evidence that we've made progress as a species. We'll look back on this time and say like, what the fuck were we thinking that we were treating cancer by injecting people with poisonous radiation, you know, like dangerous radiation. 
And that's not an anti, to be completely clear, like it's not like an anti chemotherapy thing. That's the best treatment that we have at the moment. That's what we've got to do. But you, you would have to hope that medical science advances to the point where you can treat these kinds of things without that kind of really quite brutal kind of treatment. Um, and I guess it's the same with psychotherapy and certainly it's the same with theology. When we look back at theological practices um, and things I'm that the church really has done, about that, you know, like chemo and that kind of what, but I think the way we treat illnesses, diseases, whatever, like uh, at, when something's new is, is fairly horrific. Like when you think of when HIV and AIDS was first, um, I don't know what word I was going to use then first here, first around when it was like mm. around as a, um, it, the way people were treated then and some respect now was is awful and like like people end up not being treated as humans anymore you know a lot of the time and there's lots of different therapies for lots of different things and like people used to put leeches on people and like stuff and oh i don't know yeah like shock therapy like you mentioned is just awful there's there's so many versions of things like that though and like conversion therapy would be an interesting thing for us to talk about at some point yeah definitely um and the the fact that that's still not banned or illegal and it can still happen is just horrific yeah yeah absolutely there's an amazing really funny and really dark episode of south park about conversion therapy have you seen it i don't think is it um, like a newer one it's, um, I mean, I guess from the last five years or so. Yeah, I don't think I've seen any of it from the last few years. I mean, it's it's really good, but fucking hell. Like, it's, it's the humour is so dark in it. Like, I want to uh, go watch it. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I recommend it. Um, and I would add all sorts of trigger warnings uh, to people who are going to go and watch it because it is, it's, yeah, like I say, it's I mean, dark. I just come with the territory of South Park. But yeah, well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, we did digress quite a bit. <laughs> um, we did, but that's good. To these, to the questions that we received, um, <laughs> are you happy for me to read this first one out? Yeah, why don't you read that one and then I'll read the other one and then we'll just see kind of where the conversation goes. Okay, so this comes from my super, super really good friend, Phil Beastie, um, also a colleague. Um, Incidentally, Phil is someone that brings a lot of joy into my life. Um, he's only recently in my life, but um, he brings joy on pretty much a daily basis, actually. Awesome. Um, yeah, he's a fantastic human. Um, so his message was, um, discuss the rise in popularity of the obstacle course runs and how it's given everyone permission to connect with their inner child in an adult way and why we can't just give ourselves that permission in other areas of our life linking it to yours and Tim's ideas of pure joy and childhood things that you wish you could do as adults. Mm. I like awesome. it. Yeah. Yeah. We might need to read it again because there's a lot in that question. It was. And um, I, I mean, cause I, I think started to narrow that down a bit and condense it a bit into more of a, um, like childhood joy stuff that we either enjoy as adults or wish we could do as adults or why don't we do as adults? I think, I think yeah. that's probably the essence of it. Like things, that we might frame or think of as childhood things that bring us joy that we either do or don't do as adults and why we don't do or don't do them as adults. Yeah. And um, Phil's example was like obstacle course runs. I mean, I I think there are lots of examples actually, but um, yeah. 
Cool. Well, so before you get onto that, I'll I'll read this question because I think I I think they're quite related. Um, there there's a lot of overlap. So this is from a friend of mine, uh, Emily Shorden, who uh, is actually somebody who used to be in a youth group that I used to run years ago, um, in Chelmsford, uh, and has <clears throat> excuse me has appeared on my other podcast, God or whatever, Linktree forward slash God or whatever pod, uh, for the details. <laughs> My other more successful podcast. It is is a great podcast. (laughs) Thanks. Dan's also been on it. That's how this started. Um, Anyway, so uh, Emily asks, um, actually, and I will just say, I think Emily's age is relevant to this question. Emily's in her early 20s. I don't know exactly. I think she's 23, 24, somewhere around there. Um, And I think that is relevant to this. So she says, what do you do in your evenings for fun? not just in a kind of like, um, what do you do for fun kind of question, but follows it up with, how do you relax and have fun as an adult without feeling guilty for constantly learning new things? Um, and <clears throat> that like, struck a chord with me, that question, actually, because I struggle with that as well. But I definitely remember particularly struggling with it kind of in that post-university kind of time where all of a sudden you're expected to fend for yourself Um and have all of the pressures of the world that suddenly appear that you've been kind of shielded from at that time. So I remember really struggling with it in my twenties, but I still find it difficult now. Like, how do you have fun and not feel? Let me. I just want to make sure I've got that right. That you, that you're not and, and not feeling the pressure to keep learning new things. Well, that's the way Emily's phrased it. I mean, I'm. I've kind of interpreted it just as the kind of um, as an adult. There's always more for you to be doing both in terms of like just mundane pragmatic you know got dishes in the sink got a floor that needs hoovering got bills to pay kind of a way but also in a more um uh almost kind of elevated kind of a way which is I should be furthering myself. I should be growing. I should be developing as a person. And mm. me lying here on the sofa and watching cartoons is not all of that, if you see what I mean. So yeah, I interpret it kind of in a similar way to how I interpreted Phil's question, yeah. which is about um, how do you give yourself permission to just have fun um, and to do stuff which isn't kind of, about your development or isn't about finishing your kind of checklist off for the day um and is yeah. just kind of isn't about purposeless fun yeah i don't have to be a grown-up i can just do something for the pure joy of it yeah 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 i think it does strike a chord as well because i just, especially um through the last 18 months and like pandemic and lockdowns and there was always this I was gonna say unspoken but I don't think it was unspoken like this pressure to learn things and like oh I've learned how to speak another language and I've learned how Mm -hmm. to sew and I've learned how to do this and like what have you learned and well I've learned how many episodes of a series on Netflix I can watch relatively quickly and um but I yeah it's I think there was a lot of pressure around that um there was yeah definitely yeah yeah, I think those questions are kind of linked. Um, I'm trying to think, like, where I'd start with it. Where would you start in answering those? Well, I, I mean, I was thinking what Phil's question made me think of was, so, like, I've never done, like, a 
obstacle course, uh, tough mudder type thing. Um, but I, I am kind of, and I know that you're the same kind of part of the fandom community, mm. um, which I think in lots of ways ticks the same boxes. So we've talked a lot about Star Wars and Jurassic Park and Marvel movies and that kind oh, of thing. Yeah. Um, which are all, I think, powerfully, powerfully fueled by nostalgia um, and wanting to reclaim something of childhood. And I guess it's the same kind of thing with those kind of obstacle courses and fun runs and that kind of stuff that you're trying to reclaim something of the freedom to just play and feel wonder and do stuff, which is on the surface kind of purposeless. Like it's not achieving anything, but it's tapping into something, which is kind of that, that has an emotional quality of, of childlikeness. And I think Emily's question is really relevant to it because I think a lot of the kind of the nostalgia market is funded by people who spend their lives feeling quite stressed, overworking, doing too much, and get to the point of just craving the simplicity of childhood, you know, of just, do you remember when we just had time to just do nothing and how beautiful and simple that was? Um, and I think there is something about our uh, work ethic society that creates a real demand for that kind of nostalgia of like going back to an idealized past um, where things were simpler. Now you did a little, fa- the listeners won't be able to see this, but you did a little face when I said that just now. And I'd like to know what that face was about. You leave my little face alone. Um <laughs> Sorry, you've got a very big face. It's a <laughs> Leave my big face. Um, stop in sizest about faces, Tim. Um, um, yeah, I, I guess because the way you just framed some of what you said um, was like the simplicity of childhood and not like having these pressures. I guess that depends on your childhood. Um, of course. And I, I'm not sure I would describe my childhood as that as uh straightforward or carefree or joy filled or um any of those things having said that there are things i enjoyed and got joy out of that i do have a nostalgia for and like star wars and jurassic park and comic book stuff you know superhero stuff being part of that and um i've i've had this um process recently of um like I used to describe um, watching fantasy films or Star Wars or Jurassic Park or things like that as like escapism and like this is let me escape from the stresses and it's also this nostalgia. Um, I also love theme parks, especially I've got a Disney mm-hmm. World t-shirt on right now, but like I especially love going yeah. to Disney World and Universal in, in Florida. And I used to describe that as like escapism and going to escape. And, um, and I've shifted that thinking. I don't think it is escapism. I think when I go to like theme parks, that's where I go and play. Um, mm-hmm. So I go and play for a couple of weeks every year uh, outside of the pandemic. I go and play there yeah. for a couple of weeks every every year. And I don't think it's about necessarily escaping, but there's definitely nostalgia involved with, with a lot of that. Um, and I, for me, when I say I didn't have the kind of childhood, you might've been uh, kind of framing a little bit. I think, what I'm doing when I go and play 
is kind of reclaiming a bit of childhood and um, mm. like nourishing and feeding this kind of younger version of me as well as this current version of me. So I always hold this like seven-year-old version of me in my head when I think about that um, and almost like scooping a seven-year-old Dan up, holding him and taking him to go and play and have fun. And I feel similar when I'm doing things like watching Star Wars or Marvel or Jurassic Park and really scooping him up and uh, watching that and experiencing that together, um, kind of me and my, my, my younger self, without getting to, I don't know what the word would be about that. Like it can seem a bit, I don't know, twee almost, like saying something like that. But um, that, yeah, I've kind of rambled on a bit about but like that. Uh, no, I can I can relate to some of that, actually. I, I was, um, I mean, I had a, a very comfortable childhood. Um, and, and yeah, the, I, I've got no complaints really about my childhood. But I, what I would say is I I was a very anxious kid. And the byproduct of me being an anxious kid was I was a very indoorsy kid so i immersed myself in video games comic books like that kind of stuff and didn't didn't really venture out a huge amount um and in recent years i feel like i've become more adventurous um uh both in the sense of just i love being outdoors and i find being outdoors very healing but also in the sense of kind of taking some risks and just kind of doing stuff that as a kid I wouldn't have been comfortable doing. So there was a, there was a funny moment a couple of weeks ago, I was hanging out with my uh, sister and her boyfriend and their daughter, my niece, who's two years old. Um, And they have like a little playground near where they live. And there's kind of like, I don't even know what you'd call it, like a little, not quite a pavilion, almost like just a bus shelter kind of thing at the playground where you, you know, parents can sit and watch their children frolic. Um, and I noticed that there was a tree next to the kind of bus shelter thing. And I climbed up the tree and got onto the roof of the bus shelter and then was like calling my niece. Um, and my niece who's two years old has never seen an adult standing on a roof of something before. So she just hadn't, it didn't occur to her to look up. (laughs) So I was calling her going, I'm over here. I'm over here. And she was like looking around like heading this way and then heading that way and just at no point looking up. And I was going like, look up, look up. And it just, and then she saw me and she was like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? And like telling me to get down and that kind of stuff. But anyway, so my uh, sister's boyfriend took a picture and sent that, sent that to like our little family group chat thing. And my dad replied and he was like, who's, who is this guy? Because the kid who I knew growing up would have never climbed to the top of a bus shelter just for fun. Like he was an indoorsy bookish kind of a kid. Um, and yeah, all of that is a kind of long winded way of saying that there's, I, for me, certainly there's something about the fandom stuff, which is about going back to an idealized past Mm. and going back to that kind of, that feeling of seeing the T-Rex in Jurassic Park for the first time, just that sense of like, whoa, like a real like childlike excitement. But there's also something in play and in being adventurous and in doing things that really have no meaning, but just because they're fun, which is about almost discovering that stuff for the first time, you know, uh, allowing myself to do stuff that as a kid, I was too anxious to do. 
Um, yeah, that resonates, I think. Like, yeah, I love that kind of stuff. That like, When you are with children and you get to play and you get to like yeah. go into the and, and surprise them by by playing as because when you describe that little shelter and stuff it's like well that's where the adults go they don't play the kids yeah. go yeah play. that's right that's the adults right. come and sit in this boring shelter but yeah. you didn't you went and did this play instead and then it like confused the two-year-old yeah um, yeah 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 um i love all that um that nostalgia thing's really interesting i was just thinking not to get kind of entirely geeky but um you know like with the new star wars movies that have come out like the last few years i was thinking um about this in that so the force awakens like it mm-hmm. is pretty much a retread of a star the first star wars a new hope and yeah. um I, I got so excited watching it like the first time seeing this big new star wars film in ages and a big screen with lots of people this was for the force awakens and it's like and i loved the film and i still do really like it I think it's because it was very much capturing that um, mm-hmm. nostalgia and like, oh, this is what it felt like the first time watching Star Wars and, it, and it's brilliant and amazing. Um, and then, you know, as those films kind of went on and things kind of shifted a bit and I just think like, who are, so who are those made for now? Do like, are kids go into those and that's their first experience of Star Wars and do they enjoy it? Do kids mm-hmm. watch jurassic world now is their first like dinosaur movie and are they impressed i get a little bit sad sometimes about this because i think i remember when you just said about seeing a t-rex for the first time like i remember that feeling of being so excited yeah Um, and i I read something recently i'm jumping all over the place here but i read something recently that that first jurassic park film has got something like 14 minutes of dinosaurs in it in this in the whole film no, um, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It's yeah. all about building the suspense, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and you remember those big moments when he yeah. first gets out of the little Jurassic Park, like Ranger vehicle, and there's a big, like, huge dinosaur next to the tree, and then there's the T-Rex first time. And it's just, it was so exciting. I imagine if you added up the minutes of dinosaurs in, like, Jurassic World, it'd be a lot more. Yeah, um, I'm sure that's true. But also, like, how incredible it was to see dinosaurs that look real in a film yeah. like that and I, I get a bit yeah circling back to why i get a bit sad because i think you can do anything on screen now like yeah, anything yeah. and i just like do kids ever go and see films do you think and get flawed or awed um yeah. by what they're seeing in that same kind of way because of what can be created now i i hope that that sense of joy that you can find in those moments isn't gone, but I suspect it's probably diminished. I wonder. Yeah, that's a really good good question. I don't really know. Um, but I, I, there, there's definitely something about that experience of seeing something for the first time and that sense of wonder, which is really like, like it's a real high that you get. Um, I was talking with a friend the other day who... Oh, who hadn't heard of Bob Mortimer, who's one of my favorite, favorite comedians. Mm. And I was saying, like, I almost envy you because the idea of going and watching Shooting Stars for the first time, Shooting Stars, if you haven't heard of it, is one of the best comedy shows that's ever been on TV in my mind. The idea of not having seen that and seeing it for the first time, whoa, that would be so cool. And watching it, watching the repeats on YouTube is kind of fun, but it's not the same. Um and I was talking about this with my mum actually about my niece, because um, my parents look after her twice a week, 
And we were talking about how there's something about hanging out with a two-year-old where she's fascinated by everything. You know, every tree that she sees, she stops at trees and hugs them, which I think is the cutest thing. Like it, it melts my heart. Um, and I was saying to my mom, there's something about hanging out with a two-year-old that rekindles something in you, I think, because me as a 36-year-old, my mom as a whatever 60-something-year-old, um, are so used to, you know, we've seen all the trees. Like, you don't, I don't even think I've twice about trees. all the trees. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know what a tree looks like. I don't need to stop. And, and then there's something about a two-year-old who stops and stares at a ladybird and, like, squats down on the ground and stares at it for half an hour and wants to hold it in her hands and that kind of stuff. That kind of reawakens your own sense of like, well, yeah, ladybirds are cool, aren't they? Yeah. And trees, they, they are really cool. They're, like, they're awesome. And there's just that kind of like that rediscovering, that sense of like, wow, yeah, the world around us is really like amazing. There's so much like awesome stuff. And it takes and the, the, that like Sorry, new, go on, go on. It, was, it just it takes that like new curiosity to remind you of that yeah and new, yes that's right yeah um because i have that experience with not to compare your niece to like my dog but i am about to do that <laughs> that's <laughs> fine she won't mind <laughs> she won't listen my, dog, but, like, <laughs> my, my favorite time <clears throat> moment of being out with her and how a blade of grass can seem endlessly fascinating to her or yeah a new smell or a new dog or a new, whatever it is, or she sees something in the sky or hears something for the first time. Sometimes it scares her a bit. Sometimes she can get mega excited. And it's all of those like, God, yeah, like the, all of these things that are just bringing you so much joy that then equally gives me that joy of like being with her, experiencing that. It, yeah. um, and not only like vicariously, but like with her. Um, yeah, yeah. Sounds like what you would just describe then. It's like not only you seeing your niece like experiences thing you're then experiencing it with her alongside her as well absolutely yeah yeah what is so for you can you remember the last time that you had that feeling of like or like or awesomeness like not in the in the purest sense of the word like that real sense of like whoa just like seeing something and being having your mind blown by it um that's a really good question. Because I could, I think I'd have some answers that I could like trot off that probably wouldn't be entirely authentic or genuine. They're like, they're like yeah. great films that I've seen, but it's like, well, that's not, I'm not in awe of, I've seen these things before, but like, I still love it. So I don't think they would be, I actually think it's probably, it would be something in a theme park, I think. Okay. Um, and it would, like my most, recent memory that I still were probably six or seven years ago was um to go into the like the in Universal Studios they have Harry Potter sections of the theme parks and they've like recreated Hogsmeade Village and Diagon Alley and you walk mm-hmm. into it and you you're completely immersed you can't see out of the area you're in it and all the sounds and smells and foods and like characters and there's like rides you're going to be and I remember feeling so like tearful because I was so in awe of going into this mm. like this fantastical place it's like this is not just something someone's written down in a book now this is like a real place that I'm in and it just it felt so overwhelming um 
magical. I'd never seen anything. I mean, I've been to a lot of theme parks and I'm always impressed with them, but I'd never felt that kind of um, sense of awe and amazement. Uh, Probably that. That's cool. So I, one came to mind for me straight away, which was a few years ago, I went to Iceland and going to see the geysers um, and it's just something that like I've seen pictures of, I've seen videos of, but seeing it in real life, like I got, uh, like I got a bit giddy. Like I was just so like, like I just felt everything in me, like elevating, like my spirit elevating. Like it was like just seeing like the water moving in a way that I've never seen water move before. Like looking like it's breathing almost. And then occasionally just like, erupting and it's this powerful huge eruption that makes steam go everywhere and it's just something that i had never seen before and it just it felt like not even being like an 11 year old even younger than i felt like being two felt like being my niece and just this kind of like what like i just wanted to clap my hands and go again again and i could have sat there all day watching it like i i was it was just this amazing just like, yeah, I've just never seen that before kind of moment. I just love seeing you come to life when you were talking about that then. Like you, you were getting really animated and your face just like lit up when you were remembering. Yeah, it's, um... yeah well, because, yeah, that's that's like, that's how I, that's how it felt. Um, and remembering that is kind of rekindling that feeling, which is awesome. I have another, I have another, li- I was going to say little example. I think I phrase it as little because it probably seemed little to other people, but maybe not to me. Um, so uh, if you... Two or three years ago, I started noticing uh, a lot of wildlife. I was like running a lot, and I started noticing more wildlife and paying attention to what was going on around me. And I started watching swans and families of swans. Mm-hmm. And there was the first time I saw a couple of swans building their nest. And I was, I just stopped and just like watched for ages and building this nest. And I'd never seen it, but I'd never seen a swan's nest before until a few years ago. So watching them build it, and then every day I'd go and stop and watch them like building their nest, lay their eggs, the eggs hatch, them bringing up their little babies, teaching them how to fly until they go away. And then that cycle again the next year. And it was just that, I mean, that's quite a long-term version of what we're talking about, but I remember just being so amazed by it every day. And um, maybe not that same kind of giddy excitement you were just talking about, but that, that sense of, like almost like not having words and just like, this is just incredible. This is just amazing to watch and what a privilege to be able to watch it. And it was, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. And I think those moments are all around us um, all the time. And this, like, I would say, well, I'll say for me, especially in nature, that's when I feel like I connect most with, with that feeling. Occasionally I get it still, when I go to the cinema or, you know, well, yeah, probably the cinema is probably the number one source of like, uh, I don't really know what you'd call it, like human made kind of awe as opposed to nature natural kind of awe. But that, yeah, we'll go in for a walk and noticing the birds and the squirrels and that kind of stuff around me. And if you happen to have a two year old, who's even more excited about that stuff than you are, then even more so, but or, or a dog <laughs> um but if you haven't got either of those things like i feel like i can still i still tap into them and i wonder if so bringing it back to our two questions from phil and from emily i wonder if there's something about 
the way in which our society has structured itself tells us that as you get older, you need to become, you need to invest more time in stuff that kind of removes you from that, that mm. like stuff that's quite disconnecting. So you need to spend more time at work and you need to spend more time answering emails and you need to spend more time paying bills. And these are the things that people associate with what it is to be an adult. And that actually trying to hold on to that sense of awe and trying to create moments and spaces where you can experience that kind of sense of childlike wonder is unfortunately seen by our society as kind of like a waste of time. Um, that you're not really contributing at that point when you do that. And I think there's probably a lot of reasons for that. You know, it doesn't, no one can sell you anything by doing that. You know, if you were promoting, yeah. go out and, and feel that wonder of nature and trees and birds and wildlife, you know, no one's selling you anything. Um, <laughs> it's such a big part of, I think, of, of everything that you, people spend a lot of time on, I don't know, online shopping or getting the latest iPhone or doing, and I'm guilty of all this as well. And I still like enjoy new things. And, um, but sometimes it can come at the cost, I think. Yeah. Of the, the more, uh, natural, maybe, uh, joyful things that we could go and, um, experience. And then, yeah, that, that sense of almost like of guilt of doing things like childhood things as an adult, like adulting is difficult. I would say childhooding is also difficult. Um, yeah. But we seem to have the permission to be able to do more spontaneous, fun, enjoyable, wondrous things. And th we seem to get this kind of sense of guilt attached to it as an adult that we shouldn't, that's not what we should be spending our time doing. It's like you mm -hmm. said, we should be spending our time yeah, looking at, emails and, and messages at work and dealing with the bills and washing the pots that are in the sink. And yes, all those things probably need doing to some extent. Um, but how do you then incorporate the things that do bring you joy or if it is those childhood things without that sense of guilt? Some of that for me was what I was saying earlier was reframing escapism to play because escapism is almost like, well, I'll get away from all of that stress for a bit um, and do yeah. this. But it's, it's, like incorporating those things into my so my daily walk with Norma, like I was just saying, like that joy that that brings me is just part of my day. I don't feel yeah. bad for doing it. I enjoy it. Um, I don't feel a sense of guilt of doing that. And I'm trying to think of when this stuff shifted though, because I know there'd have been a point a number of years ago where if I sat down in the evening to watch, I don't know, a movie on TV or do something like that, I I'd have felt guilty and like oh, I should be doing something different. I should be doing something normal. Yeah productive and I don't anymore but some of that I don't want to say it's just come with age but I think some of it's age some of it's getting through some horrendously difficult stuff and reshifting my priorities and perspective on life um and being able to find those little things every day that fill me with joy has been such an important process and I guess detaching yeah. guilt or shame from those things doesn't just come overnight takes a lot of practice i think it, it, i was just reflecting while you were talking about shifting from the language of escapism to the language of play um when i was doing my uh masters in theology one of the guys who i studied a little bit was um this relatively unheard of christian 
mystic from the 13th century or something called uh, Ivagrius of Pontus. Um, and he came up with what he called, uh, the Greek word is logismoi, and I can't quite remember what it translates to into English, but essentially he was talking about seven unhealthy behaviors um, that people engage in, hmm. which the church eventually grabbed and started to use the language of the seven deadly sins. Um, so, but it's a complete, that's a complete missing the point of what uh, Evagrius was doing um, or trying to communicate because the seven deadly sins implies these are naughty things that you must not do and you should feel terribly guilty and ashamed of them. And so they're all like, you know, I can't remember all of them, pride, laziness, gluttony, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and what Evergrace Ponticus was saying was that here are seven things that people do that take them out of the present moment. And the present moment is where life is. The present moment is where God is. The present moment is where you will come to life. And so he uses a lot of those same words. So he talks about greed, envy, lust, you know, those kinds of things, which like I say, the, the Catholic church then made into, mm, no, you mustn't do these, they're naughty. But the point that he was making is that, you know, when you're thinking about material stuff that you want, or you're thinking about, you know, your next meal, or you're thinking about who you want to fuck or whoever, you know, whatever it is, you're, you're leaving the present moment. You're, you're, you're entering into like a fantasy and into like a hypothetical and you're detaching yourself from reality. Um, and reality is where you should be. So those thought processes are unhelpful to you, not because God is in heaven seething at you for behaving in a naughty way, but because you're missing out on life, you're missing it. It's happening now and you're missing it by kind of uh, descending into this kind of fantasy. Um, and yeah, so what you're saying about escapism is quite an unhealthy thing because it, it suggests I need to get away from this moment, from this life, from whatever it is. I need to escape into something else. Whereas play is just the opposite. Play is like, I'm going to enter more deeply into this life, into, into this moment that I have now. Um, and it, I think it can look like quite a fine line between those two things. Yeah. But one of them helps you to come to life and one of them helps you to escape from life. Yeah. I think. Really Does that fun. make sense? Yeah, I think so. But because it, it it almost implies in some of it, like that the play isn't real. Um, like if you're going to play, if, whether that's a theme park or a climbing up a tree in a park or whatever it is, you know, that, uh, yeah, I would say it isn't escapism or getting away from something. It is engaging with something. And play is, yeah, it's actively real. It's now, it's happening. It's not like you might engage in like, role play or fantasy play or whatever but it's, it's very mm -hmm. much now and you're in it um, yeah and and it's in maybe not for some people but it's enjoyable as well it can be enjoyable and um, yeah i think there are some people who find play infinitely difficult i remember mm -hmm. working in a um therapeutic community i won't name names at this point but like um i've got a really good friend and he really struggled to play with the kids and they were mostly teenagers but they needed a lot of play because they'd never really had it before so we had to kind of model some of that and play with them and he found it so difficult and so awkward 
to try and do that. Um, yeah. And it was a lovely thing to watch him learn and to be able to do, and then go on to have his own kids and be an absolutely amazing dad and learn how to play in a really lovely way. But that that thing that yeah, a lot of adults can have of like, well, play isn't for me. That's not my. That's not mine. That's that lives with yeah. the kids over there. Yeah. I'm a very serious person. Yes. I'm very important. I'm here to do my work. Um, I'm yeah. not here to play. Well, play is your work at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's so important, actually, uh, because I think we all know people like that, don't we, who are completely so caught up in their own sense of importantness and busyness that they've comp- the idea of playing would be laughable to them. And... I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but certainly for me, those aren't people who I enjoy hanging out with. Um, I'm much more up for, like one of my best friends is a guy who lives down the road from me, a guy called Lenny, who's quite a lot younger than me. I think he's 24 or something like that. Um, And one of the reasons why I love Lenny so much is because he he there's there's a there's a line in a song which always makes me think of him there's a uh, a song by a guy called ben queller and it, it's called on my way and he talks about the line goes there's this kid you got to meet he lives down the street he's got spirit and heart we're 10 years apart um he can hang with anyone i can't remember but anyway he gets to the point of he still likes the things we used to think were fun he still yeah. likes the things we used to think were fun and that's one of the things i love about lenny like Oh yeah, I remember loving this. This is fun, isn't it? And like, there's something about becoming an adult where you almost kind of shut that stuff down and being with people who can remind you of like, hey, remember this? This is fun to do this. Um, is so important. So, so important. And I think that's like thinking back to Emily's question in particular that sense of guilt about always needing to be doing more, whether that's practical stuff or in terms of your self-development or whatever is really powerful, really, really powerful. And I can really strongly relate to it. I feel like it all the time. I find it really difficult leaving a job unfinished, but what's so much more important is, 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 is being playful um, and finding ways to play. And it happens that Emily does a really awesome creative job, which I think she would probably say if she was with us, gives her plenty of opportunities to play. Um, I don't want to speak for her. She might disagree, but I think she she would probably say that. Um, Yeah, it's so important. That sense of guilt, man. Like, um, Do you know the phrase that just came into my head when you were talking then was when people talk about guilty pleasures, which is something I hate as a concept. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. what... I feel like I could just talk for about two hours about why I don't like the phrase guilty pleasure, but how is the, how is the word guilty put onto the word pleasure? What yeah. in the world could be called a guilty pleasure? How is it pleasurable if it's got guilt attached to it? Like what? Well, if you're, maybe if you're laughing at a child falling over. <laughs> pleasure? <laughs> well, it kind of is in the sense that it brings me a lot of pleasure, but I feel like it shouldn't. <laughs> Okay, you might have come up with what a guilty pleasure is. Um, you know, because people say, like, what, with, like, music, what's your guilty pleasure? Or, like, yeah, yeah. guilty pleasure food. Or, like, oh, I really like cheese and crisps, and I like watching chick flicks and romantic comedies. Like, what? They're not guilty pleasures. That's just food and films. That's not, yeah, like, yeah. nothing wrong with any of that. There's no, shouldn't be any guilt attached to any of that. Um, and, like, what? why can't we... 
yeah, reframe things and, and experience pleasure. Just just pleasure. Yeah. Not, not- but that, so I really struggle with that. I find that really difficult because... Um, because you let's like say, it's hurting themselves. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly that's part of it, but that's not the point I was going to make. Um, I, I, there's, um, I think food is the most obvious example to play with. So I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying a piece of chocolate cake. And that's a, that's a pleasure. And there's nothing guilty about that pleasure. That's just that that's a nice thing to do for yourself. But in terms of my long-term health, I know that eating a healthy diet and getting plenty of exercise and that kind of stuff is better for me. And I guess the real difficult thing is I, like finding the balance between immediate short-term pleasure, this, you know, like yesterday I got home from a day in London and was tired and got myself uh, battered halloumi and chips for dinner because I couldn't be bothered to cook. I have no guilt about that at all. That was absolutely fine. But if I were doing that seven days a week, then at that point, somebody would need to do an intervention because I'd be slowly killing myself. Um, and I guess that's kind of how I interpret the guilty pleasure thing. Although I completely agree with you. I completely agree that it's a horrible phrase and we should strike it from the record. Like we shouldn't have that phrase. Um, but I, I understand that real tension. And I guess this also ties in with Emily's question as well of like the what I really want to do right now is something that's fun and pleasurable and playful and that kind of stuff. But I also know I probably need to get this mortgage paid. And I, I also know I probably need to, I shouldn't meditate. I haven't meditated in a while and that's good for me. And do you know what I mean? Like that, that's the thing that I find quite difficult as an adult. I'm going to um, skip around the edge of your food conversation because um, I mm would rather avoid that right this second because I think there's a lot that I'd want to say about what you've just said about that which maybe we will do another time yeah um the all those other things though like yeah probably I should I should meditate or I should do this or I should we make time for all of those things and we carve out time and what and we generally speaking like don't carve out the time for the pleasure stuff and for the um for the fun joyful things we we might schedule certain things but we don't really say well oh, i can't do that on tuesday night because i've got an hour of joy happening i've got an hour of yeah. or i've got you yeah. know don't really do that um so i think like actively making time for it as a priority alongside all the other things that need doing and not mm. having it shift below other things oh now I've got someone coming around to do this because that needs to, no, no, that time's blocked out for me to have some fun and do this, whatever that might be, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, whether it is going to the park and climbing a tree or, um, or I'm going to slip back into the food conversation or baking a cake and having some chocolate cake. Cause yeah. um, Why wouldn't a slice of chocolate cake form part of a healthy diet? Um, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, I'm just, it's just interesting. I think that why we feel pressure to do or not do certain things. You know, I guess the thing I'm thinking at the moment is music, particularly. So when I was a young, a kid, a young teenager, um, like the Spice Girls were my biggest favorite thing in the world. Like, absolutely mm-hmm. became uh, very focused on them, and uh, they were. Uh, massive part of my life and then um as I got into like adulting 
they were still that, but I kind of denied that. And I didn't mm-hmm. like let anybody know particularly. And I was always like, no, I like this kind of cool music over here now. And I like this, which was true, but I also still like this. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's shifted back around in the last few years to like fully embracing, loving the Spice Girls back to kind of the nostalgia conversation we were having like near the beginning. There's definitely a huge bit of nostalgia for me. There's also just still very much enjoying that now for what it is and embracing it and loving it and not having any guilt about it. Spice Girls are not a guilty pleasure for me. It is definitely a pleasure for me um, and absolutely love them. uh, And, and there's lots and lots of different reasons for that. But yeah, I guess just thinking through that period of time where I would, like almost deny that. Um, mm. Like it's not okay for me to say certain things that bring me joy in 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 life. And yeah, and I remember going through a period of time where I wouldn't say my favorite films are Jurassic Park and Star Wars. I'd I'd go for the Oscar winners. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. whatever. Yeah, these are my favorite serious films. Um, yes, and I like this serious music that's about this depressing subject and. So I definitely went through a long period of time of all of that. Um, and I do like all of those things. But, yeah, being able to give yourself permission to embrace and love the stuff you love and, and celebrate it and and yeah. share it and tell people. Um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I think I think that's that's bang on. And really that that subject of play really – relates to both of the questions that we got Mm. that we started talking about. Um, and I think it's, it, it, it is like a really hard thing to do. Like, like I'm forever on a quest to better myself. And so I have a constant, like in my mind, like, okay, I should go for a walk every day because going for a walk in nature is good for me. I should meditate every day because meditating is good for me. I should eat healthy because that's really good for me. And I have all of this list of like well-being things to, to, to look after myself. What, you know, on the surface of it, what you would call self care (laughs) that have become oppressive, that have become things which are like, Oh God, when am I going to find time to meditate today? When am I going to find time to go for a walk today? And that's before I've even got to like mortgage applications and paying the bills and you know, the, the, the list of things I've got to do for work and that kind of stuff. Um, and I think what you said about deliberately making time to play, I think is a really important kind of key to unlocking both Emily's and Phil's questions, Mm. which are about kind of, yeah, the connecting with that playfulness, that being in the moment. Um, and, I remember when I first started working from home um, around the time when you and I first met, uh, I got a piece of advice from somebody about working from home, which said that the, the, the real perk of working from home is that it gives you flexibility. So what you need to do with your time is to schedule your life around the things that you want to do that you enjoy and then fit work in around that um, rather than the other way around. That's really hard to do in a nine to five work culture. Uh, and it's, really really hard to push against but the spirit of that i think is really really important that prioritize the stuff that you want to do and that's fun and then fit the kind of 
the ought to do's um, around that rather than the other way around. Yeah, I like that. We were talking before recording about um, different elements of, of work, and I was I mentioned like a type of therapy that I've trained in that I really like, which is DDP, and a big part of that is uh, playfulness, and so a pace model, playfulness. Um, acceptance curiosity and empathy so the fact that like I've been drawn to this therapeutic model that involves play actively involves play and a playful mm-hmm. approach you know I've I've like almost like shoved play into my work and yeah. like, I'll make this a part of my work as well as um just something to to enjoy anyway but um yeah do you know what's interesting about these questions is like that when I first like read them before we were recording I was like I've I can just list off a few things I, I like and like remember as a childhood and doing now. And I, I just think the more we talk about it, the more, um, I don't know, like messy it feels and like, and difficult and not to talk, yeah. about, but like to do and like how I've landed at a process of being able to do some of that. And maybe other people aren't in that place. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes me a bit sad. I think for people that do struggle to have play in their lives as adults and just yeah. with the like, traditional adulting um yeah we need to reframe that we just need to redefine what adulting is yeah absolutely you're absolutely right i think i really think we do Uh, you know as a matter of urgency i really think we do we just did it yeah there you go yeah and we just need the rest of society to adopt it (laughs) (laughs) um because it's the most important thing like speaking from a kind of spirituality perspective a lot of the people who, you know, over history have kind of made great spiritual discoveries or written profoundly about spirituality and religion and stuff. Also, we're known for being playful, curious, fun people. Um, and I think that, yeah, there's something about coming to life, whatever whatever worldview you choose to frame that in, which gives you permission then to do that stuff. Um, because that's it's the most important thing, I think. I like that. I yeah, and just relating that back to what I just said about that pace model, I'd, I'd encourage people to live in a pace model. You know, mm-hmm. if you can in- incorporate playfulness, acceptance, curiosity, and empathy into your life on a daily basis, I think you're onto a winner. Yeah, I'm up for that. So that's that's uh, I want to join your religion. Yeah, it's not a religion. I am not religious. We're making um, it one. Stop together. To put your frameworks on my stuff. Let's start a cult. Let's not. <laughs> That's what the C stands for. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's definitely, definitely not. Um, that's, yeah. Is there anything else you'd want to like, say or think about? I don't think so. Apart from just acknowledging that it, it is really hard. I think, I, I think that there isn't, there isn't a simple answer about how you do this. Um, but I think the question is really, really important. How, how you bring play being present, you know, not escapism, um, but playfulness into being an adult, I think is, uh, is really hard. And I think it's just worth acknowledging that, but it's really important. I agree. And I think we'll probably, revisit some of these conversations as we move forward with our joy story. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of this will kind of come back into future. 
conversations. And we have got other questions and ideas people have sent in that we're going to um, cover in future episodes, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Shall we just uh, remind people of the email address? Joystorypodcast at gmail.com. That's easy right. to remember. It's really easy to remember. Joy Story Especially Podcast. Especially if you're like a co-host on the podcast. Um, yeah. 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 Super easy. Um, <laughs> almost impossible to forget, um, I would say. So, yeah, do do drop us an email um, or get in touch with us in other ways. If you are our friends and have our numbers, <laughs> you can yeah, use those. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, you can grab us, grab us and put ideas our way. Um, and I know in our first episode, I'd said, like, fundamentally for me, this project was, was largely to maintain contact with you, Tim, and to carry on conversations and to capture these. And I'm glad this has definitely done that again. I've really enjoyed seeing you and talking to you again today. Yeah, man, me too. Definitely. Feelings mutual. Let's do a quick, just before we go, 30 seconds. Uh, what's something that's brought you joy since we've last spoken? Like Since a month the last ago. episode and today, yeah, so much, uh, so much. <laughs> uh, um, I'm going to go back to my dog, um, which is quite a. You know, I think a lot of people would say like they're animals and bring me joy, but honestly, like Norma brings me so much joy on a daily basis. Her curiosity, her love, her playfulness—it's that therapeutic model. She embraces yeah. them, yeah. and she brings me so much joy. Um, seeing her little tail wagging and a little spring in her step, and we spent our first night away from her on Friday night to see how we'd all be, largely to see how I'd be, um, and I coped. And to get back <laughs> to her and seeing uh, how excited she was when we walked back in. The, through the door was just beautiful so it's going to be my dog i'll try and make not make it normal every single episode but that would be that's um, fine if it is it, it yeah. is definitely definitely normal how about you tim um i well i've already talked about my niece um but yeah absolutely i would say yeah just the the company of a toddler is something that really brings me joy um it's it's helpful that I'm not her dad. So when she has temper tantrums or when she needs a nappy that needs changing or whatever, that's somebody else's responsibility. So I can just be there for the fun bits, but the fun bits really are a lot of fun. Um, and for all sorts of reasons, she gives me lots of joy. She's really funny. She's a little character. Um, so yeah, that's, that would be mine. Definitely. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. No worries. Cool. All right. Um, well, thanks for listening. And bye. <laughs> share, share with people if you've enjoyed it. Please share with yes people that you enjoyed listening. Yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And give us a little rating on your uh, podcasting apps and a review if you're on Apple Podcasts, but only if it's a positive one. Um, and yeah, email us if you have anything that you'd like us to talk about in the next episode. Joyful reviews only. Joyful reviews only. Um, let's in unison say, uh, <laughs> um, what can be our kind of ending catchphrase? Joy out. How about you've got a friend in us? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, in unison, ready? One, two, three. You, you got, got a friend in us. Friend in us. It's perfect, it gets better every time. <laughs>